heart uh, 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 desire to teach this in December last year. Um, I was uh, looking at the new year, and whenever we start a new year, I always have a desire to, to seek God for whatever it is that he has me seeking. And Jenny, it's been the promised land. And some other people, it's been, I've heard um, a lot about vision, of course, because it's 2020. And my friend that I pray with, it's about renewal. So God often puts a word or a, a theme in somebody's hearts. For me, it was imagining, envisioning, seeing, in my heart, what the word promises. Seeing, for me, this is for Cindy, this is my private time with God. Seeing the power of God that I know is in me, because we all carry the power of God. Seeing that power manifest, I, with all my heart, desire to see more miracles, more signs, and more wonders. Well, the only way that's going to happen is for me to believe and expect for more signs, wonders, and miracles. So that's literally been my focus. I'm spending 21 days of fast and prayer right now, beginning of the year, and my focus is to put my flesh down so that the spirit man in me can rise up. And I'm literally seeing my hands healing the sick, seeing the power of God flowing freely, like, like I'm a, a pipe, just flowing freely. So that's all about Cindy. But my heart is to share what he's been teaching me in all of this. So that's what I'm going to share with you today. I'm going to start with a scripture that's really a tough love scripture. I shared it last week, but it's, it's from the word. It's from God. So even though it might be a tough love one, it's filled with love. Matthew 13, verses 14 and 15. Let me give you the context of where this scripture comes from. Jesus is, it has just shared the parable of the sower. And after he shares that key parable, the apostles come to him and they say, Jesus, why do you always talk in parables? Why don't you just teach us straight out? And he basically said, well, there are the religious people who are in a little box and they think everything has to fit in their box. They're not going to get it. But you will. Because your heart is open to receive what I'm giving you. And so he taught in parables, and then he often explained those parables to his apostles. But when, when he told them that, this is the scripture he referred to. He said, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. This is a healing class. I don't want me or us to be in a place where for some reason we're hardened in such a way that we can't see, we can't hear, we can't understand, and we can't turn to God and let him heal us. Now, here's the gist of this hardened heart. And I'm not going to go into great depth on this because I want to talk about the sensitivity part. But I believe that we become hardened when we're pressed into the mold of the world. When we live a life 
doing things the way the world does them. Christians can live just like the world. But God has called us out of that. Can, can you turn this up just a tad, please? God has a better plan for us. But if we do things, if we're conformed to the world and we do things the world's way, something happens to our heart. We become calloused. We become insensitive. We can see in the world, in this world, that evil is now seen as good. And good is now seen as evil. Where sin doesn't even seem to be sin anymore in this world. And if we allow ourselves to do everything the way the world does it, we can become calloused, we can become insensitive. So we're going to talk about the opposite today. So that word hardened means cold, insensitive, callous, unfeeling, and unyielding. But if we just switch that one word to the opposite, instead of hardened to the word softened, everything changes. First of all, the meaning of softened, I believe this is on your handout. If it's not, it was last week. The meaning of softened is warm, sensitive, tender, feeling, and yielding. So if I put the word sensitive in that same scripture, instead, and the, or the word softened instead of hardened, listen to what happens. When you hear what I say, you will understand. When you see what I do, you will comprehend. For the hearts of these people are softened or sensitive. Their ears can hear. And they've opened their eyes so their eyes can see and their ears can hear and their hearts can understand. And they can turn to me and let me heal them. Isn't that awesome? The difference between hardened heart and a softened heart. So that's why I want to talk about a softened heart or a sensitive heart. Last week I shared a scripture in the book of Romans. The first chapter of Romans, if you're familiar with that chapter, is a, a, a chapter that paints a picture of people who know God, but they're pressed into the mold of the world. And over time, they become hardened. If you read the whole chapter, it talks what I call the downward spiral of sin. This is the last verse of that account. This is what it says. Because when they knew God, so they knew God, they weren't unbelievers. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, nor were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. So this teaching comes from an Andrew Womack teaching that I have just been digging into. For those of you who don't know Andrew Womack, he is a teacher um, of the word who I highly respect, regard. I'm going through his Bible college um, in um, Colorado. It's called Karis Bible College. I'm doing it online, of course. But this is one of his teachings, and it just has been resonating in me. So according to Andrew, he believes that this scripture shows us the progressive 
process, the progressive way that we can become hardened or desensitized to God. Three steps, and they are in order. One leads to the next one, and the next one leads to the third. And when you get through all three of them, you're in that place of darkness or hardness. So there's a chart. I believe it's on your paper, but we're also going to put it up here. There were three things. First of all, they did not glorify God as God. Second of all, they were not thankful. And because of those things, they became vain in their imaginations. That word vain means empty. Their thoughts, their, their emotions, their, what they were thinking, what they were dreaming, what they were envisioning was worthless. It was ineffectual. It was fruitless, deceitful, no purpose. Darkened, calloused, hardened, desensitized to God. But last week we talked about if that's what the three steps are of a hardened heart, we can learn from that. And we can look at what the opposite of that would be. And if we do the opposite of that, instead of being hardened, we're going to be sensitive. So, the first two we talked about last week. I'm going to do a really quick rerun right here. The first step in staying sensitive to God is to glorify God as God. To glorify him above everything else. So a couple of meanings of the word glorify. One is to value him or to esteem him above everything else. But one of the enemy's plans, one of the enemy's ploys, he doesn't have, I mean, he keeps doing the same tricks over and over. And one of his tricks is to get us to decrease our value of him, to decrease our esteem of him or our worth of him or the, our worth of his word, the value of his word. And that happens through carnality, carnal living. Carnal living means flesh, living according to the flesh. Um, we're spirit, soul, and body. God doesn't want us to live in the, the physical realm. That's not his best for us. His best for us is to live spiritual not in the physical realm. And if we consistently give in to what we hear, what we feel, what we see, what other people are saying and doing, if we do things the way the world does them, then we're going to get the same results that the world gets. But he says no. God says no. Instead, esteem God above all else. When I was first diagnosed with cancer, this was the first thing that changed in my life. Because I was on the other side. I was on the left side of that chart. I didn't, glory, I didn't value God above all. I did value God. But he wasn't number one. I'll tell you what my priorities were. Number one was work. I was a workaholic. Number two was my children. This is the wrong order, by the way. This is all wrong. The third was my husband. Fourth was my stuff, my home material things. And fifth was God. That's really wrong. I didn't know how wrong I was. I wasn't, I wasn't valuing him above all else. That has changed in my life radically. God is number one. I'll tell you my new order, at least the first three. Number one is God. I value him above all else. I need him. I'm dependent upon him. I value him above all else. Number two is my husband. Number three 
It's my children, my family, the loved ones in my life. And then it goes from there. But that's number one, two, and three in my life now. I now esteem him where he deserves to be. I glorify God as God. But when we share the values of the world, instead of God's values, that hardening process begins. We can't share the world's values and without becoming desensitized to God. I had no relationship with God. I was completely calloused. I was completely hardened, and I didn't even know it because I was religious. I was good at religion, but I was desensitized. I wasn't. I had no sensitivity to God. The second, oh, I want to go one more place before we go to the second one. So there's two meanings of glorify. The first one is to value high, above all else. The second is to magnify. Magnify means to make bigger in your heart. But I don't even like to use the word to make bigger. To see God in his proper perspective, which is bigger than all else. But whatever we focus on, we will perceive as bigger. Whatever is up front in our face is going to seem bigger than everything else. So do you have God up front in your face? Or do you have the problem? This is one of the things that I've learned to do. Problems are big and they scream loud. Pain is loud. Symptoms are loud. Diagnoses are loud. They can get in your head and in your heart and cause all sorts of fear. I have learned when I pray that I change the order of my prayer. When I pray, I put me here and I put God in my face. I envision him in my face, face to face with God and the problem behind God. I don't put the problem between me and God. It's so much smaller than my great big God. So when I pray, I literally envision me going to my God about the problem, but the problem is in the, in the background because God is so much bigger. I want to see him in his proper perspective. So in order to make God and his promises bigger in your heart and in your mind than your problems, you need to change your focus. We need to stop focusing on the problem and start focusing on God. So that's glorifying God. The second step is being thankful, living a lifestyle of thanksgiving, no matter what you're in the midst of. Because no matter what we're in the midst of, there's things we can be thankful for. And here's an important key. It's on your sheet. Being thankful is how we fight against the natural tendency to focus on the problem. So, yes. So here we are, we're talking about glorifying God. Being thankful enables you to glorify him. It enables you to magnify him above the problem. Because it takes your heart off of that tendency to put your focus on the problem. As I was um, just meditating on this this week, God showed me that many of his people, his children, have tunnel vision. And that tunnel vision is only seeing the problem. And everything else is outside of the line of their focus, the line of their vision. God says, no. When you give thanksgiving, that tunnel vision is broken. You have good peripheral vision. And you can see the goodness of God. 
that tunnel vision is destroyed. And now you can see as God sees because you're being thankful for what God has done in your life. So it's a heart of thanksgiving in the midst of the battle. Not just when you're in a battle, but every day of your life. So living a lifestyle of forgiveness. And that brings us to today, the third level, because the scripture says progressively, first, they didn't glorify God as God. Second, they were not thankful. And because of that, they became vain in their imagination. So I've got a couple quotes here I want to read from, from um, my Andrew Womack teaching. So he kind of puts this all together. He says, knowing God, but failing to glorify him, and then being unthankful and having a vain imagination are sequential steps in the process of walking away from the Lord. The first thing that happens is you let something other than God occupy your attention. This breaks my heart. Because I do it. We get busy. Just life can get in the way. Something other than God occupies your attention and you start valuing the opinions of others above God. After you stop glorifying God, you become unthankful, probably because you just forget, because you get busy. And finally, your imagination becomes vain. That doesn't mean it stops working. It means it starts working against you. It might mean that you start imagining failure instead of success. It might mean that you start imagining sickness and the stuff that goes along with sickness instead of health and healing. One thing leads to another, and the end result is a hardened heart. Back to that Matthew scripture. The heart was hardened. They couldn't see. They didn't have eyes to see. They didn't have ears to hear. They didn't have a heart to understand. And they couldn't call on him and let him heal them. So the default of this world, this is what the world does. This is the world's way. It's tragic. But most people live somewhere between a vain negative imagination and a hardened heart. They only imagine bad things when the doctor tells them a bad report. They start seeing themselves sick. That vain, negative imagination works against them and causes a hardened heart. Having a hard heart doesn't necessarily mean that you don't love God or that you're not trying to follow his will for your life. But it does mean that you don't understand how much God loves you. When I was first diagnosed, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know, I didn't even know Jesus. I wasn't even saved. And I remember that negative imagination attacking me immediately. I got a diagnosis. After I got a diagnosis, symptoms came like crazy. The symptoms didn't come before the diagnosis. They came after the diagnosis. I believe they were lying symptoms. I think the devil did it to me. But what happened? I bought it. I didn't know better. I still wasn't saved. It was one week between the diagnosis and my salvation. That was probably the worst week of my life. First, I had the diagnosis, a, you know, stage four cancer, incurable, six to nine months to live. Then I, the symptoms reared up loud. And then fear and negative imaginations. 
My brain was open. I allowed those negative imaginations to just have their way. I allowed fear to stir itself up. It felt literally like it was suffocating me. Since then, I've used the terminology or the analogy, it was like a cancer. I was diagnosed with cancer. The fear, the negative imagination was a cancer of my soul until God showed me his word, his truth, something to replace the bad report, the doctor's report and all of that. So this final step in staying sensitive to God is to see with the eyes of your heart, to see as God sees you, to see yourself as his word says we are, to see ourselves righteous. His word says in uh, 1 Corinthians 5.21 that we have become the righteousness of God through Jesus. We need to see ourselves righteous. We need to see ourselves worthy, not because of what we've done, because what Jesus did for us. We need to see ourselves healed. 1 Peter 2.24 says, I healed you. Jesus, by his stripes, we were healed. In Isaiah 53, it says he carried our sickness. He carried our pain. He paid the price for our healing. We need to see ourselves healed. We need to see ourselves, John 10.10, living the abundant life that God gave us. Jesus says, I came to give you life and a life of abundance. You might not be living a life of abundance. God wants you to envision that. It's your promised land. You can't see anything manifest in the physical realm until you've seen it in your imagination, in your soul. It's already yours spiritually as a believer. As a daughter of God, you're blessed. You have the blessings of Abraham. We are blessed. It's our inheritance. But it has to come through our soul. We need to imagine it. We need to see it. We need to envision it before it's going to come into manifestation. I am so excited to share this. This is a healing meeting. And this is a practical step we can all take. This is what I'm doing in my house. Every day, right now, I am taking time to imagine, just like I'm telling you. And I believe things are going to change radically in 2020. Amen. I want to use two terms. The first one I want to use is positive imagination. Later, I'm going to use another term, a sanctified imagination. I'm going to tell you the difference. I believe a positive imagination is when we see ourselves, like I just said, the way the word says, but we see our physical body, our, our, and it doesn't have to be a physical thing. It might be your marriage healed and whole. It might be your children alive in Christ. Whatever, that's one of the things I'm envisioning during this season. But what is it you're believing God for? Envision it in a positive way, not what you're already seeing, but what God says about that thing. So if you're here for a physical need, see yourself whole. 
I didn't know any of this when I was in my healing journey, but I specifically remember envisioning my lymph node system because the cancer in my body, it was stage four melanoma and it had metastasized to my lymph nodes in many, many parts of my body. When they did the PET scan, I lit up all over. My neck, my diaphragm, my back, my groin, all over the trunk of my body. Everywhere there was a lymph node, it was lit up. So this is what I did. There were a couple scriptures in the Charles Capps book, in the little um, pocketbook, about the lymphatic system. One of them said, and I, oh, I still say this, and I, at that time I said it day after day after day, and I envisioned this happening. It said, Father, I thank you that my immune system, that my lymph nodes are better today than they were yesterday. And tomorrow they're going to be even better than they are today. I could envision that. I could see that. I could see my body in my mind's eye, in the eyes of my heart, getting better and better and better day by day by day. The next part of that same declaration said, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in me, quickening my immune system. So I envisioned the Holy Spirit in me doing work in my lymph node system. I imagine my lymph nodes, I, I am not one to do research, so I don't know what lymph nodes look like, but I had a picture in my mind of these little things in my body, these little lymph node things. And in my lymph nodes, I saw my body doing what God created it to do. Lymph nodes are supposed to destroy disease. They're supposed to surround and destroy bacteria and viruses and cancer. So I said, lymph nodes, that's your job, so get busy and do your work. And I literally envisioned this little Pac-Man thing coming and eating cancer in my lymph nodes and completely healing them. So I was envisioning the Holy Spirit working in me, the resurrection power of God. I was envisioning my lymph nodes doing this amazing little war thing in there, killing cancer in my body. So envision. That's positive imagination. See yourself whole. See yourself well. If you can't see yourself healed or imagine yourself healthy, you won't see it manifest in your body. That's the soul part. It goes from the spirit through the soul into the body. The soul is the middle man. I've told you this before. It's so simple. Two against one wins. If your soul is in agreement with what's already yours in the spiritual realm, your body has to follow suit. If your soul is in agreement with the problem, if you're imagining the sickness, what's coming next, what the doctor's saying, the symptoms, the, the uh, side effects, all that stuff, two against one, your soul and your body is going to manifest instead of what's already yours and purchased for you by the blood of Christ. And in that case, he died in vain. He did, he, I don't want him to have taken those stripes in vain for me. I don't want him to have died in vain for me. He didn't just die so I could go to heaven. That's an amazing, amazing truth. But he wants us here glorifying him and advancing his kingdom here on this earth. Often people miss what God has for them because even though they know God's promises of healing, they see themselves sick. 
That, in that case, the sickness isn't just in their body. The sickness has spread to their soul. It has metastasized to their soul. They don't see themselves well on the inside. Their imagination has become vain and it's working against them. When they see themselves sick, it's difficult to believe God. It's difficult to have faith for healing if you see yourself sick. In the scripture, 3 John verse 2, the first word is beloved. So God right away is putting his arms around you and bringing, drawing you close, loving on you. And he's saying, beloved, I pray or I desire above all things that you prosper in every area and you're in health even as your soul prospers. That second half, the first half's dependent on the second half because we're in health and we prosper in proportion to the prospering of our soul in the same way that our soul's prospering. So when our soul is prosperous, when we are seeing ourselves whole, when we are seeing ourselves the way the promises of God give us the, the promise, when we see ourselves with that promise fulfilled, then our health will follow. The, the prosperity of our life will follow. Having our needs met will follow. A healthy marriage will follow. A healthy um, life will follow. An abundant life will follow. So I want to talk now about a beautiful scripture, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And this is a, another part of Andrew's teaching that has just come alive in my heart. The word hope is another word for positive imagination. We're talking about envisioning yourself well, envisioning yourself the way God's promises tell us. Hope is your imagination. If you can't hope for something first, then you can't receive it by faith. We've just said all of this. Hope is seeing something in your heart that you can't yet see with your eyes. Hope is seeing, I already said that, which is exactly what imagination is. Hope is the biblical word for positive imagination. Hope is your imagination working for you instead of against you. So now look at this. Look at this scripture. Faith brings our hopes into reality. Faith can bring into reality what we have already seen on the eyes of our heart, with the, with the eyes of our heart. Let me say that again because I messed it up. Faith brings into reality what we have seen in the eyes of our heart, what we have envisioned. I'm going to read the rest of the scripture. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and faith becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. That word is hope, the things we hope for. Faith is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Remember, when we're hoping for something, that positive imagination, we haven't yet seen it come to pass. So faith is the evidence, the proof of that thing hasn't yet come to pass. But faith is the evidence of that. Hope is to faith what 
a thermostat is to a furnace. So let me explain. We have a thermostat in our living room. We have a furnace in the basement. That furnace doesn't work all by itself. It needs the thermostat to activate the power of the furnace to turn on the furnace and heat up my home. If they're not connected, neither one works. If I don't turn my thermostat on, my furnace doesn't turn on. If my thermostat's broken, my furnace doesn't work. Hope activates our faith, just like the thermostat activates the furnace. Let me read it as, like I have it here. Faith only produces what hope, what your imagination has already seen. A strong sense of hope will cause you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's will is going to come to pass. You will know it in your heart and expect it because your imagination has made it real. Hope won't get you healed, but it will activate your faith for healing. So this positive imagination switches on your faith. You've got your faith. You've got your belief. But when you envision it, it's the thermostat that turns it on and activates the power of God to be manifest in your life. This is huge. This is something I've been missing. This is something I haven't been um, using in my walk with, with the healing. And I believe it's a step, it's a powerful step for all of us. Hope is also the anchor of your soul. This is scriptural. The purpose of an anchor is to keep a ship from being blown around. Hope will keep you from being blown off course and missing your destination. Yeah, hope keeps you anchored. You need a vision, an image on the inside of you. Until you can see it on the inside, you're not going to see it on the outside. So let me show you the scripture, this beautiful scripture from Hebrews about hope being an anchor. I put this on your sheet. It's from the Passion Translation. And I wanted you to have it because it's just a beautiful oh, truth that is just, it's just come alive. In fact, we're going to take time to envision this scripture right now as we read it. So, it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. And now, we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. Before we go on to the second half, I want to just take a moment right now because this is just too good to, to pass up. We're talking about envisioning right now, so I want you to just envision this with me. The scripture says that we come right into the heart of God, that we are open to come literally inside the loving heart of God inside of his faithfulness. It says, we have run into his heart. 
and we literally hide ourselves in there, in that safe place, knowing his faithfulness, his love. That's where we find his strength. That's where we find his comfort. So see yourself right now in the heart of God, in that safe place. That's where we find comfort. That's where we find strength. He empowers us to seize, to take what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. We have promises. We have Jesus, the living hope, in us. Unshakable hope. Go to the next screen, please. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. We have an anchor holding our souls, this middle part of us, our heart, our emotions, our mind, our imaginations, holding our heart to God himself. Those hopes, friends, those hopes of healing, by Jesus' stripes you were healed. It's his word. It's his promise. And when we agree with his word, that vision, that hope is an anchor connected to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. The mercy seat where the blood of Jesus was spilled the sacrifice that paid for us for our redemption. That's where we're connected. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat. The work is done. The price was paid. It's our promised land. It's our inheritance. And when we have that vision in our soul, it's an anchor that keeps us on course, that keeps us from being tossed to and fro in the wind of the junk that you're living in here in this world, in this physical realm. Hope is an anchor. So I've given you on your sheet, and I gave you two sheets today because I want to send you home with practical strategies. I've given you four exercises. Here's the first one. I've already kind of alluded to it. The first one is to imagine yourself healed. Imagine whatever is needed in your body. Maybe it's your nervous system. Maybe it's your autoimmune system. Maybe it's your lymphatic system. Maybe it's your joints. Maybe it's your brain. What is it? Maybe it's your eyes or your ears. What is it in your body that needs healed? It doesn't have to be a physical thing. It could be a marriage. It could be uh, your children's lives. Whatever it is that you're believing God for, start envisioning it. Do it in detail. See it happening like I did with my lymph nodes. See your body doing what it's created to do. Envision yourself being healed. Imagine the part of your body that needs restoration becoming restored. That's the first step. The second step is to imagine yourself healthy. Living the fullness of life that God intends for you to live and be specific. I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on Nathan. This is beautiful. Nathan is envisioning himself playing basketball with his grandson. Yes. Yes. We're envisioning it with you, buddy. 
absolutely. Marlene Kleps, we know, most of us know Marlene. God gave her a vision of her riding a bicycle. He gave her that vision when she was in a wheelchair, spastic, had never, ever walked. She now rides a bicycle. She saw herself, she envisioned herself riding a bicycle. So envision yourself living. Envision yourself fully living. What is it that you love to do? Envision yourself doing it. So that's the first exercise. That's based on a positive imagination instead of a negative imagination. We're reversing the world's way, doing it God's way. Let's go to the next scripture. We're going to take a switch now and we're going to talk about a sanctified imagination. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, God, because he trusts in you. In the Passion, the same scripture says, Perfect, absolute peace surrounds those whose imaginations are consumed with you. They confidently trust in you. The word imaginations in this, in this translation and the word mind in the New King James are the same word, the same Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is yetzer, Y-E-T-S-E-R. It means, it can be translated as mind, as imagination, as understanding, and as conception. God says in this beautiful scripture that our mind, our imaginations, our, our understanding, when we're consumed with God, when we're consumed with his word and his promises, when we're consumed with what he's revealed to us, everything else, everything else that he desires for us comes to pass. His peace we walk in peace. Our trust builds up. Our trust rises up. Trust is faith in action. It comes alive when our mind, our imagination is stayed on him. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this scripture is telling us what I've been saying all night. Don't do things the world's way. God's got a better way. He says, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Be transformed. Be changed from one form into a completely different form. And that happens when we meditate when we use our sanctified imagination, meditating on the word of God until we conceive that word on the eyes of our heart, until we can see it. So we're moving now from a positive imagination of seeing ourselves healthy and whole. We're moving to what I'm calling, what I'm terming a sanctified imagination. The word sanctified means separated from the world. And it means 
separated unto God. In this world, the world's way, the default of the world is to be every, everything mixed up. The world, the word, the world's way, God's way, kind of all over the place. God says, no, don't do it that way. No, instead, get a sanctified imagination. Be separated unto me. Think what the word says. Imagine what my promises say. Let that be the focus of your dreams, of your visions for 2020, of your imagination. So in that scripture, Isaiah 26, will you go back please to Isaiah 26, Kent? It talks about keeping your mind stayed on the Lord. That is more than just having knowledge. It's more than just head knowledge concerning God and concerning his word. Because understanding is more than just ability to recall facts. It's more than just being able to pull scriptures out and declare them, speak them out loud. It's more than that. Understanding, remember that word, mind, can be translated four ways. Mind, imagination, understanding, or conception. Understanding is how we get something down on the inside of us. A lot of people read the Bible with their head, but not with their heart. That's like chewing food, but not swallowing it. It's not going to do you any good. It's not going to give you the nutrition that you need. The word won't minister to us at our fullest unless it's deep, unless we swallow it. That term, keeping your mind stayed on him, on the Lord, means meditating about God and his word until it paints an image on the canvas of your heart and you begin to see things from his perspective in agreement with his word. So James, you and I were talking before the meeting about the power of declaring the word. This takes it to another whole step. Because instead of just head, in your head, just declaring it, just speaking it, today we're going to talk about swallowing it, about getting it down into our heart. And one of the ways to do that is to use your sanctified imagination. Now, Christine, when you shared your message or your testimony a couple weeks ago, one of the things that she shared was that something that ministered to her in a huge way was she discovered the visual Bible on Netflix. She discovered that there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John available, free, to watch on TV. They are word by word. It's not somebody that has taken it and made it into a story like a lot of the biblical movies out there. It is literally the living Bible. Pastor Tim really recommends this a lot. But now they make it in all four Gospels. And she said she would watch it by the hour because she could visualize it. She could see Jesus healing the sick. She could see the people as they were just in awe of Jesus, as the actors were acting that out. And it came alive in her in a deeper way. And she watched them over. It was part of her, her soul um, uh, uh, ministering to her soul during that season when she was in the process of her healing. And by the way, she's completely healed. Praise you, God. So that's one powerful um, suggestion. But here's another one. This is another Andrew Womack. This is another exercise that I put in here. Andrew suggests reading the healing accounts in the Bible, and I've listed all of them for you here. There's 23 
healing accounts. These aren't the ones where he healed all in a mass. These are the specific healing accounts. And I've given you all of the um, gospels that they're repeated in. And he said, as you read the healing accounts, put yourself in the place of the person getting healed. Stop, read it, and then imagine yourself as that person with Jesus coming and healing you in whatever, because there were so many ways he healed, whatever way he healed in that account, see him with you in the story. And then, Andrew said, he did that for a long, long time. And then he switched. And he started to see himself in his imagination in the role of the healer. We have, we're made in Jesus' image, and we have been commissioned to, to advance the kingdom. We've been commissioned to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons, just like Jesus. So Andrew started to envision himself as the healer in the stories. We're going to do one practice run right now. Can you put on that next scripture? This is number 19 on your list, I believe. Yeah, number 19. The woman with the 18-year infirmity. Now, I'm going to use the word person because I want all of us to be able to envision this right now. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. We're going to envision ourselves right now in this story. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to stop, and I'm going to just meditate on it out loud, and I want you to just see yourself as that person getting healed. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. And she was bent over and could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was straightened and she glorified God. So right now, envision yourself as that person who for 18 years had that deformity, that infirmity, that spirit of infirmity, and you were completely bent over. When you walked, you were like a foot shorter than you should have been. Your back was completely curved over. You couldn't even see people face to face or eye to eye without cocking your head up. People looked at you and laughed. And then one day, Jesus came to you. You didn't even go to him. Jesus came to you. I believe that there was such compassion in Jesus' heart. He came to you. He came to me. And he laid hands on me. And he said, be healed of your infirmity. And immediately, there was immediate power and immediate healing. And all of a sudden, my back completely straightened up. I stood up straight. No pain, no residual effects of the disease or the infirmity or whatever it was. It was gone. And the joy, the excitement, and the first thing that poured out of my mouth, out of your mouth, out of our mouths, was glorifying God and thanking him and praising him for the completed work 
this man, this man just touched me and I was completely made well. The joy, the glory, the praise, the worship, there's no words to describe it. 18 years and if one touch, I was healed. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's a, an amazing exercise to put us in that place of experiencing Jesus, experience his healing. The next exercise, um, exercise three, I'm going to give you two more exercises and then we're going to close and pray. On the next one is just some little nuggets that I've learned from some of you guys and that I've learned through experience. The first one is one that Christine did when she was in the middle of her journey. She, I don't know if it was her journal or what, I'm just kind of paraphrasing right now. So if I don't get it right, it doesn't quite, it doesn't matter. The, the thought is what matters. She drew or envisioned a cross. She's Catholic, so in her eyes, in her envision, in her heart, it was a crucifix. So she had this huge crucifix or cross filling up, if you're journaling, filling up from the very tippy top of the page to the very, very bottom. And then this is my addition to Christine's picture. On that cross, I see words. I, and if I was journaling, if I was writing, I would write them on the cross. Everything I was redeemed of. Sin. The enemy's plan. <clears throat> hell. Uh, uh, sickness. Pain. All the stuff that Jesus redeemed me from on that cross. Just written, just covered with words of the fullness of the extraordinary grace of God. The bigness of the cross. The bigness of the finished work of the cross. And then... Christine said that next to that big cross, she drew one little dot and she put the word cancer. What she was envisioning is the great power of the finished work of Jesus and the cross. It's cancer's nothing compared to Jesus and the work of the cross. So that's a visual and that's something all of us can do. That leads me to the next thing on this list, which is journaling, not just with writing, but journaling with pictures. Journaling with, with writing scripture down and making it big in your, in your eyes, in your heart. Maybe the words that stand out to you, making them bigger with color, whatever. Writing maybe what those words mean in that scripture. Maybe taking a theme like hope and finding scripture after scripture about hope. What hope is in the word of God. Today, my friend and I, my prayer partner and I, we did that with the word renew. We were just meditating and worshiping on renew and journaling and writing about the word renew according to God. So journal, envision, make your journal come alive. Even if you're not artistic, it doesn't matter. There's something about using the different modalities drawing, charting, um, diagramming, adding color. There's something about putting all of those modalities together that make it come alive in your heart. So do that with your journal. If you don't journal, if you say, I hate journaling, it is a life changer with your walk with God. It is a life changer. Yes. I, I'm just going to say, do it. 
as your teacher. Do it. Start journaling. And then the third thing on the list I already talked about, and that is when you pray, imagine yourself first, then your great big God and the problem on the other side. Because if that problem is in between you and God, it literally is an idol. That means that it has, you've given it more power over your life than God. You don't want that problem to be an idol. And then exercise four, the last one. This is for those of you who have a passion to heal others. God doesn't say pray for healing. He says go out, heal the sick. When you pray, this is what I've been doing. When you pray for people, see them healed in your imagination. Envision Jesus touching their hearts and their bodies. See yourself laying hands on the sick and watching them recover. I've heard different um, suggestions about praying for the sick, and a lot of people say you should keep your eyes open. Marlene always keeps her eyes open. She's amazing. I don't, and I'm not going to make an excuse. The reason I don't is because I want to see Jesus. I, and, and sometimes the problem, even though it's not in me, my heart so wants to see you healed that I'm seeing your problem. I don't want to see your problem. I want to see my great big Jesus. And when my eyes are closed, I'm not looking at you and your problem. I'm envisioning my God and the bigness of who he is and that he has given us as believers the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I'm a believer. I believe God at his word. So that's where my heart is when I'm praying for you. It's envisioning you healed. It's envisioning Jesus touching you. It's envisioning the power of God radically doing work in you. And then the last statement, you won't see miracles come to pass if you don't believe that God can do a miracle through you. It needs to become so real in your imagination that you literally dream about it. One last story. I know we're going a little bit long tonight. This is a good one though. Um, Andrew, this is in the book that I've been reading. Andrew said, and the name of the book, by the way, is um, Who Told You You Were Naked? If you want to read the book, it's a really good one. That's, that's in the Bible by Andrew Womack, Who Told You You Were Naked? But anyway, um, he said that he really wanted to raise people from the dead. Other people raised people from the dead. He'd heard about other evangelists, other mighty men and women of God praying for the dead and seeing them raised, and he wanted that to move through him. So he started imagining it on purpose, daydreaming. He started taking time to close his eyes and daydream about him going to lay hands on the dead person and them coming back to life. And he did it and he did it and he did it until he started dreaming it at nighttime. He started dreaming about himself raising people from the dead. And after that, he started raising people from the dead. He had to see it for it to manifest. And now he's raised many people from the dead. But first, he imagined it so much he was dreaming it at night, and then it started to come to pass. So guess what I'm doing? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, okay, God. And, you know, I don't want to put God in a box, but 
I want that to stir up in me, not just for raising people from the dead, but for healing, for signs and wonders, for miracles. So that, I'm going to close with Psalm 46.10. Be still and know, understand, recognize that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In order for our imaginations to grow, in order for us to get to this place of having a positive imagination, a sanctified imagination, we need to spend time being quiet and still. Being busy with the things of this world will choke out your imagination. Remember the scripture in Romans. So we need to quiet ourselves and be still. So, Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, God, uh, that, oh, you're so good. You unveil your truth in such a way. And, God, I know that knowing your truth sets us free. So I'm praying right now, Father, for a year of great signs and wonders and miracles as our 2020 vision comes alive, as we have greater clarity of seeing and hearing and sensing and knowing and growing in revelation of you and your will. Father, may the promises in your word come alive in our hearts. May the promises in your word be more real to us than the doctor's report. May we see those promises manifest in the eyes of our heart and then manifest in our lives. Father, whatever your people here are dreaming, whatever they are hoping for, I breathe, I pray life. I pray a breath of life into it right now. I pray a breath of the living power of God right now into that dream, into that vision, into that hope. And I thank you, Father, that the hope will turn on the power of their belief, of their faith, of their knowing of your promises, and it will come to pass. I call it. I call it in. I call those things coming in. Healings. Pain gone. Symptoms gone. Grief gone, cancer, gone, nerve pain, gone, hurting hearts, broken hearts, gone, healed in Jesus' name. I declare right now, um, Psalm 103, verse 5, it says, he satisfies us every stage of our life and our youth is renewed. I see you all right now. I see you, um, Jeanette and Amelia. I see you with your youth completely renewed, your knees renewed, your hearing renewed, your youth renewed. And I claim that for everyone here in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, praise you. I praise you. I praise you.